0: Gen Z has been described by many people as one of the most educated, diverse, and interconnected generations ever. I'm here to tell you that is wrong, and your child is being brainwashed every single day, and you don't even know it. If your child has a device in their hand that has an internet connection, and your child does, then you are signing up your child for the world's most dangerous gamble. The gamble of their future, mental, physical, and most importantly, spiritual health. My name is Brock Ostra, and this is Ostra Hour. Okay, so you're thinking right now, surely not my child. I monitor their activity. Unless you are physically next to them watching what they are doing, then they are hiding things from you on their device. Your child grew up on their phone. You did not. Your child knows how to use the device better than you. They can access anything and then hide it from you. But what do they have to hide? I block all pornography sites. So what is so dangerous, you are asking? Social media. Social media is destroying your child's brain. One of the most shocking statistics I saw recently is that 98% of Gen Zers worldwide own a phone. I mean, that's that's outrageous. 98%. And that's worldwide. That, that includes Africa, Asia, all these third world countries. They include those in that statistics. 98% everyone has access to the internet on their smart device. Okay. And your child does too. You need to realize that they can access anything. Even if you think, well, I blocked the pornography. Okay. There are still things on the internet that are very, 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 you know, scanty. And that are not just necessarily pornography. Okay, If you go into Instagram school for more than, you know, three seconds, you're going to see a woman that's dressed very inappropriate. and your six-year-old's looking at that your your child's six years old and you're you're allowing them to look at this okay it's you've you have to watch your kids and what they're accessing on the internet okay and they know how to hide it from you it it it, it, it baffles me that people are just okay with their kids on these on these devices it's it's outrageous okay another statistic for you 38 percent of gen zers spend more than four hours on their phone and not just our phones, social media, 38%, over a third of Gen Zers in, in America spend more than four hours. That That is outrageous. If your child is spending four hours on social media, eight hours in bed, and eight hours at school, that means they are only spending four hours in a physical world. That doesn't even include homework. Only four hours in the physical world. And we know that there's so many kids out there who spend even more than four, okay? They don't get any amount of the physical world in their lives. And we wonder why this this new generation is so depressed if you don't live in reality of course you're going to be depressed you are living in a fictitious universe reality is is good god created it sin entered it but when you try to make your own reality of course it's going to fail you're human you can't make something better than god you can try as, as much as you want but you will never make something greater than god okay and we know that social media has so many other effects on kids the constant dopamine rush you get from scrolling, it's brainless. You, you scroll, and it's you scroll, double tap, like, scroll, double tap, like, scroll, double tap, like. You're feeding your kids all this garbage. Okay, that's what they're getting. This is not educational stuff. This is just constant dopamine rushes. That's going to have an effect on your child. And then you, you wonder why your child can't focus on anything. It's It's because of the device you put in their hand. And it also affects long-term memory. It's harder to store things in your brain when you have so many different things coming in. Your long-term storage is affected by the amount of consumption that your child takes in every single day. Okay? It's a gamble. It is a gamble. And it's not a gamble they can consent to. They're a child. Of course, they're going to look on it and, and do whatever. It is your responsibility as a parent to watch what they do every single day and every single time they open these social media apps. You've got to be checking what your kids are doing on them. Because believe me, they're not good. You think the people out there are looking out for your child? No! You need to look out your, for your child. You are responsible for them. Not the people on the internet. Another statistic for you. One in four Gen Zers say they do not feel they do enough. If you're sitting around on technology, of course you're going to feel like you're not doing enough. Because you're not doing anything real, anything productive. These, this, This attention you get in the technological universe it's it's not real there's nothing tangible you can see i mean you can see that the likes go up but what does that really mean in the long scheme people people as much as they feel like people are getting dumber they're still not dumb they understand this means nothing subconsciously they know that it means nothing but they still they just keep going into it because they're kids they don't know better three quarters of this generation say that they could use more emotional support you've got to be with your kids every single day um and you know where they're getting support from they're getting support from social media because you're not sitting there and talking to them 55% 55% of kids say they get their support from social media. Do you understand what's gonna happen if they get their support from this cesspool of disgustingness? They're going to feel like crap. I mean, look at look at little girls. They're comparing themselves to these women who are not who are not real. These women, they're they're edited. The women they're comparing themselves to that, and it's it's gonna be depressing because they're trying to compare themselves to something that is not real. It's it's not real. Forty-five percent feel that they are uh, they feel judged by social media, and and thirty-eight percent say they feel they feel bad about themselves because of social media. This is going to have an effect on our kids in the long term. This is a, a enormous experiment we're playing on all of our kids that we have no long-term study for. We we have some statistics saying that it's it's bad, but we have never seen the long-term effects of a kid, of a kid being raised by other people on the internet. I mean, think of 30 years down the road. Like, What's your kid going to be like? Do you think they're going to be okay? Because a, a person on TikTok was teaching them how to dance and, and they get that every 30 seconds? That that has an effect on your child. You, you have to be watching what they're doing. Okay, another thing that people get off social media, especially kids, is they get fear. They just get straight up fear. Fear mongering. Okay, three. This is according to the APA. Three in four Gen Zers report mass shootings as a significant source of stress. Mass shootings are are bad. They're obviously bad. But we need to stop telling our kids that they're happening and it's going to happen to them. Because chances are, it's probably not, okay? You don't need your child going to school in fear that they're going to be shot and killed. Your child is innocent. On social media, people are are fear-mongering. They're telling them they're going to die of of guns. They're going to die from climate change. They're going to die from COVID. There's so many things. And and of course we need to accept death for what it is, but we can't be telling our kids that there's no hope because in, in five years, they're going to be dead from climate change anyway, or they're going to get COVID and they're going to die from COVID. You have to have some hope in life. Even though there's death, you need to live in spite of death. You need to live, you need to live to make, to make death worth it. People have an issue with accepting death, which is why they're so afraid of it. If you accept death, then you're going to live your life better because you know you know the outcome. You know that no matter what you do, it's going to lead to death. And I, and I know that sound, it sounds like well maybe I'll just on my hands and and do nothing and I'll just get by because well I'm all gonna die in the end. No 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 no. Live in spite of that. Um, the Bible it teaches that we're supposed to live for Christ. If you have a worldly view, then of course your life is meaningless. What are you living for? There's no higher power. When you die, that's it. But when you live life, you know that what you have, your rewards are in heaven. I have the story of when I was at this group at a government center. It was a meeting for the youth. And all the kids were asked to list some of their top concerns so we could send a letter to our state senator. I think nearly half the kids talked about either gun control or climate change. And keep in mind, I live in a red state. So... I was very, very surprised to find out what kids were worried about. They weren't worried about they weren't worried about what a normal kid should be worried about, like whether or not they're gonna, you know, get a girlfriend soon or uh, whether or not they're gonna be able to play sports. They're worried about literal life or death, and they're learning this off the social media, because if you go on TikTok for more than twenty seconds, you're going to see that everything is political. The reason social media is such a gamble is because you don't know what your kids are going to see. They could see a whole assortment of things. I got lucky that I saw some conservatives before I saw liberals. And that sounds, you know, really stupid. But I mean, I was in sixth grade when I started getting into politics. Your kids are not little political machines. Okay, they're designed to run around and have fun and enjoy the benefits of childhood. But they're being exposed to politics every single day on social media. You've got to protect them from this stuff. It's it, just these kids. I, I think during the group, one of these kids like literally broke out in tears. And believe me, there's not a whole lot of school shootings here in the area I live. There's a lot of gang violence. Had they said gang violence, I would have been like, okay, there's, there's a little bit of gang violence in the area that they live. But the thing is, they didn't say gang violence. This is specifically school shootings. Statistically, it's not going to happen. That doesn't mean we shouldn't have safe measures for it. But we should not be frightening our children every single day. They need to, They need to learn to live, live in spite of death. Quick Bible verse for you guys, Philippians four eighteen. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worth of praise, think about these things. Don't think about death. Think about what's honorable, what's righteous. Think about good things. You're made in the image of God. You're born again in Christ. Stop thinking about all the wicked. We, you, we need to be weary, but think about the good things—all all the good things that Christ has done for you. He's done a lot. He died on the cross. Think about that. Quit thinking about climate change. The Trevor Project—it has some suicide rates here. Cisgender, which is a ridiculous word, just for normal boys and normal girls, or attempted suicide in the past year. Boys are six percent, girls are ten percent. And if once you, you you start looking at the statistics. We can see that when people find their identity in sexual immorality and different genders and they're experimenting with that sexuality, again, you're gambling with your kids. By letting them do this, you are saying, okay, I'm going to let you go into a community that has a higher suicide attempt rate. Um, qu- people who are questioning their gender or sexuality, 14% suicide attempts in the past year. thats That's more than 1 in 10. And when you look more, transgender people... Two, two and ten. Okay, it jumps from six percent to twenty-two percent. Okay, that is a sixteen-point jump because they're questioning their identity. Okay, it's it's not good to let your kids find their identity in sexual immorality. They're, they're, most of them aren't even capable of having even sexual thoughts or anything that's they don't they don't understand. And you're just letting them. That's I mean that's ridiculous. How can you let your kids? Your kids who have no idea what sex really even is and you're gonna let them question it okay as if they're as if they wouldn't even understand what being a homosexual even is okay they don't even know what that is they just think that means you dress like a girl look it's a it's, it's okay for a boy to like things that are girls that does not make them a girl that does not make them homosexual I understand there was a lot of bullying in the, in the 90s for these kind of things but now we've gone so far the other way that it's like okay a, a kid comes up to you and says, Oh, well, I like the color pink. Oh, well, you're a girl then. No, they just like the color pink. Okay, that doesn't make any sense. I remember when I was younger, um, I went up to my mom and I said, because I thought being a girl meant you have long hair and I thought that meant you just you just kind of, you know, hang out. I I thought boys were supposed to be running around and I just kind of want to sit around. And so I went up to my mom because my cousins, they were sitting around just pretty much doing nothing. And I was like, mom, I'm a girl. And she goes, that is the most stupid thing I've ever heard. It wasn't exactly that. It It was something different, but... She she quelled that pretty quick. And and I didn't think about it again, because my mom's not an idiot. Okay. She didn't tell me that I am a girl now. She said, that's ridiculous. Go play. Okay, so when the LGBTQ plus movement started, you know, 20, 30 years ago, it was to say, okay, homosexuals, they just want to be left alone, just let them live. And, And it also started like kind of feminizing boys and just saying, well, it's okay for boys to like, you know, girl stuff. uh, Playing with a doll, liking pink things—that doesn't make them a girl. It just means they like stuff. And it's like, I mean, okay, you know, that's fine. People back then they warned, they said, "This is a slippery slope. We shouldn't be allowing these things." It doesn't mean we—that doesn't mean we bully the kids, but that does mean we protect them from it and, and, and kind of force them. And we kind of force them to do things even though they don't like it because it's just what's normal for their gender, and and they'll come to like it. But it's okay. It's can't have diversity of views in that gender, but it, it it still means there's kind of some baseline things that you just can't do. So let's talk about church attendance. 58% of baby boomers still belong to a church. 50% of Gen X. 36% of millennials and Gen Z. Only 36. One in three still go to church. Okay, and I'm willing to bet some that actually go to Christ-believing church, it's more like one in 10. I'm willing to bet that that, that's, that would be an accurate statistic. The question is, why do the young people keep leaving the church? And it's because if you go to any, any, any church, all you're going to find is surface level preaching you're gonna find this this surface level you know youth programs where you go there and the the main main thing is the game I saw this video it was uh it was a youth pastor and it, it was a joke but well what do you need to be a good youth pastor you need an Xbox 360 you need a good haircut and uh I don't know or something else and, and and he was had his Bible there I did to bring it up it was it was satirical but it, it was pretty funny because it's really accurate I've been to quite a few youth groups over the past past few years and the majority of them you, you don't even have to bring your bible because they're not going to open it you're, you're not going to read anything look if you have a youth group young men they don't need games they need substance they need education they need the bible they need theology they don't need a game look it's a nice way to get people in the door but once they're in the door you got to teach them something okay Just because they're in the door does not mean they are now a Christian, okay? You need to teach them how to be a good Christian, how to be a good man. You need to teach them the steps of evangelism. There's so many things that you you walk in the door of a church and they don't teach anything, okay? They might say, hi, and and that's nice. We should be nice to the people coming. But the point of the church is not to get people in the door. It's to teach them about Christ. We need to teach them about Christ. You wonder why your kids grow up and they go to college and they don't ever come back. Why would they come back? There's nothing of substance there. They're getting more from their college about leftist crap than they are getting from, you know, the literal church. Of course, they've turned to this this religion of of self, self, you know, loving. This this religion of the self. Of course, they're going to turn to that because at least there's a religion there. There's no religion in some of the modern day churches. It's just sitting there, and and you you you, you sing a few songs that that barely even talk about Christ, and and, and you t- have a message that's. You go out there and you, you be a good person and you be nice to everybody, and that's what being a Christian's all about. It's like I mean, I guess, but not really, it's about a lot more things than just that, okay? It's about being justified with the blood, it's about sanctification, it's about Christ, it's about God's creation. There's so much more than just you got to be a nice person. There's so much more there's so much more to Christianity than that and and if you never take a deeper dive than that, then your kids are going to leave because of course they are. there's nothing there. There's this really interesting um, survey I was brought to. It's called the State of Theology. It's a website. Um, definitely go look it up, stateoftheology.com. They have so many statistics there, but I'm just going to be talking about one. But if you go on there, there's so many that'll surprise you. I mean, you'll see some of the evangelical churches and well, not even evangelical. You just see some of the, like, the you know prosperity gospel and people that'll claim to be Christians and it's like they don't even know what Christianity is. They think Christianity is just, again, about being nice. But specifically this one, the statement is, Jesus was a great teacher, but not God. Okay, as Christians believe Jesus was God. The Trinity, right? Okay, so in 2020, 30% of Christians agree with that statement. 30%, okay? 2022, 43%, a 13 point jump in just 2 years. Okay? That's during COVID. If you tell people that church is not necessary, stay at home, okay? It's non-essential. Your spiritual health is essential. It is the most essential thing in this world. And it's not even of this world. You've got to be worrying about your spiritual health. It is the most important thing, okay? You live this life to become more spiritually well so that when you move to the afterlife, your gifts will be in heaven. You have to worry about your spiritual health. And the local church is one of the most important things to your spiritual health, okay? It is next to impossible, okay? Not impossible because anything anything is possible with God. But it's next to impossible to be a Christian and not go to a church, okay? You've got to be going to a church weekly. And and an, an online church, I'm sorry, but that is not going to church. I understand there's some circumstances where maybe you got to stay home one week, but every single week you should be at church in a pew with your family, there, all paying attention. And after service, talk to your kids about the message. Okay? Don't let it just end there. Christ doesn't sit at church and not walk with you every single day of your life. God is always present. Okay? It's a it's seventh day. It's not one hour of the seventh day. It's the full seventh day. Okay? It is a Sabbath. Take some time, read the Bible with your family, gather them around the table, talk to them about Christ. That is the most important thing you can do for your kids. I understand school is important. God is more important than school. Okay, their top priority should be should be learning about God. Local church is obviously the best way to do that. Okay, another verse for you. 1 Peter 2, 10-11 Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of flesh, which wage war against your soul. Your kids are in a spiritual warfare with worldly things. And you sit there and you give them the advice and you say, Okay, good luck to me. Do whatever you want on there. No, sit there, watch them, make sure they're doing good things. Cause they're probably not, cause they're kids. They don't know. They're just kids. Please watch them. I care about your kid. Okay. I want them to be in God's family. But you're not doing them any favors. Please watch your kids. They're they're the most important thing to the next generation of believers if we don't pass down our wisdom to our kids then what are we doing okay what are you doing that's so important that you can't sit down with your kid okay look i understand you want it you want to be entertained but that's not what the world's about quit watching movies watch your kids i understand you want to watch your 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 episode of i don't know the mandalorian okay i like watching the mandalorian too but you have a responsibility and your first responsibility is to your kids well it's first to god but then to your kids okay Worry about your kids. Because I guarantee you, what they're looking on their phone is not good. It can never be good because it's from the world. Another Bible verse for you, Luke 8:14. And so far, what fell among the thorns? They are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. This is talking about, we have everyone in church, we have everyone on the door, but they fall into the thorns. And they can still hear the message, but they go on their way, choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. The internet is a gateway to all the bad things of this world. Okay, and a lot of people think, well, the internet, it's, it's a bad thing. Okay, it's, it's not the internet's bad. It's the collection of all worldly things on the internet that is bad. It, it, it's just a cesspool of disgustingness it's, it's, it's a it's a blob a constant blob consuming your kids so they can be added to the blob so they can add more people to the blob. it's disgusting it, it, it's ruining your children okay this is an extended passage but I'm gonna go ahead and read all of it it's 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 really interesting and it really highlights what exactly our world is going through right now okay this is Romans 1 18 through 32 starting in 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteous of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Okay, we can see right here. We can see right here a parallel to the modern day left, suppressing the truth. They hate the truth because they want to make their own truth. But you can't because you can't change the truth because it's the truth. In 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it unto them. of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men, birds and animals and creeping things. That whole thing is talking about the world, how we're turning to the world. Okay, we're looking for worldly wisdom, which is foolish, claiming to be wise, they became fools. Verse 24, therefore God gave them up in their lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. This is this is one of the most revealing verses. God gave them up to their impurity. There was so much impurity that God gave them up to it. He he said, Okay, I have a wall here. I have a wall right here. Okay, and on one side is you, and on one side is impurity, but you have been gnawing at the wall so long to get to this impurity that he removed the wall. To, to be in the absence of God's, you know, mercy, that's, I mean, that's one of the most depressing things ever is to be clawing for the sinfulness and then for God to say, okay, you know, go for it. I mean, it's, it's Timmy touching the stove on steroids. Okay. You want to touch the stove so bad? Here you go, Timmy. Here's the stove. It It's going to hurt, but this is, this is just more than the stove. This is your, this is your soul not just your finger for this reason, God gave them up uh, verse 26 for this reason. God gave them up to dishonorable passions for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another men committing shameless acts with men receiving in themselves the due penalty for their heir. Okay. So right here, you can see that the, the Bible's talking about homosexuality. We can see that first it started with, with the women, Okay, we can see that in our culture, in American culture, we can see that it started with the feminist movement in the 1900s and then it moved to sexual immorality is okay. And that's where it's, um, verse 27 is talking about men having relations with men. So we went from female empowerment to men um, having sexual relations with men. And we can see that it's just, this, is the, this is the downfall of culture. Romans 1 talks about the downfall of culture, okay? They suppress truth. This is what's depressing is that we keep going on with it. We keep going along with the suppression of truth. Okay, We need truth. We need more truth, not less truth. And that's why it it makes me sad for people to say, well, I don't want to tell them this because I think it might offend them. Okay, if someone's drowning and you say, okay, well, I mean, I don't want to offend them and tell them that they're drowning. They're drowning! Tell them to get out of the water! They're gonna die if you don't tell them they're going to be dead in their sins if you don't tell them that there's something wrong with them there's something deeply wrong with them that they want to just be in their sin turn them to righteousness you have to tell people that there's something wrong with them that they have a sinful nature in order to bring them to the point that where they need a savior they have to know what they're being saved from okay it's the steps of evangelism it's a problem they, it's a problem with the modern church is that we don't tell people that they have a sinful nature and it's well we just want to talk about the love of Christ Christ is loving. Okay, and you're and you're taking away from Christ, Christ's mercy when you say and when you don't say what he's saving you from. Okay? Give Christ the credit. Give him the credit for what he's saving you from. Sin. And I'm a sinner like everyone else, but we gotta be telling people that they're sinners, or else they're not gonna understand what they're being saved from. There's a step to evangelism, and that's one very, very important step that Christians are just too afraid to talk about. I know it feels like it's it's hard to approach young people, but the young people they're they're sitting there and they're begging for it they're begging for some sort of substance that they're just not getting they're they're hungering for 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 substance they're hungering for they're hungering for for soul wellness okay they need it i can see it every day in the culture they go on social media and they talk about the depression they talk about their their troubles but no one's there to help them because we we separated ourselves from the current generation we're so busy on our own phones that we can't acknowledge our kids Okay, we have to be talking to them about their spiritual wellness, and I know it's hard to approach people, but you got to do it. Okay, what's more important your your comfort or, or their life, their eternal life? It's more important. Please talk to people, talk to these young people. They need it, and I'm I'm guilty of this myself and not being willing willing to talk to young people. But you got to do it. It's 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 part of evangelism. It's part of bringing people into God's creation. Back to verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness evil and i can't pronounce this word. it means to covet malice they are filled of envy murder strife deceit maliciousness they are gossips slanderers haters of god insolent haughty boastful inventors of evil disobedient to paris foolish faithless heartless ruthless Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things d- deserve to die, they do not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. We can see the the dangers of the modern left. They, they they promote all these things. All these things the Bible just first out, just just listed out. The left promotes them. We need to be every single day in the culture wars, fighting this stuff because we can see right here it is unrighteousness. It leads to death. That is a punishment for all these things. Death. But we're too afraid to speak up. It, there's certain points in life where your comfort does not matter. We we are called in life to to have a higher power than our comfort. Okay, I understand. You just want to you just want to sit there and you just want to enjoy life. But that's that's not what life's about. There's moments to be called to to honor our God. There's moments call for action. If you see someone crashing the side of the road, you and you don't see anyone helping them, you are the person being called to help them. Pull over, help them. This is the same instance. We need to fight the culture wars because they're important. Your kids are at risk here. All right, I'll, I'll end this portion of the podcast with an important analogy. And this is addressed to anyone who is living life based on their own knowledge. Trying to live life without wisdom of past generations is like trying to drive to New York from Los Angeles. You have a map in hand, but you throw it out the window because you think you know how to get there better than the map. On your journey, roadsides are constantly warning you that you're headed in the wrong direction, that this is the route to Seattle. These signs are like mentors. They're telling you to stop going your own way and that you need to correct your path. But you don't listen because you think you know the road better than maps and road signs. You think you know better than 6,000 years of wisdom developed by generation after generation. You think you know better than your mentors who have already lived life and know where the where the wrong turns are? You fool! You, claiming to be wise, became a fool. Believe me, because the path you are going down only leads to destruction. Another Bible verse for you. Proverbs 3, 5-6 through 6 reads, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Jesus is the only way to life. He cares about you. He wants you to come to him. And like the story of the prodigal son, who had bruises, depression, who was going down the wrong path like you, his father welcomed him with open arms, and Christ will welcome you with open arms. Welcome back to the Ostra Hour. We're now here with Brent, my um, husband and father. Uh, we're going to be asking him a few questions. So we'll just get right into it with our first question. What, what is a man? What separates the boy from the men?
1: A man uh, likes to make sure that he has responsibilities and he takes care of them, including his family and his uh, God-given responsibilities, whereas a boy forsakes those. All right. So
0: in our culture today, there has been a severe lack of fathers in the home. What makes a father so important to our culture?
1: A father um, shows the family unit Christ, and how I mean that is, they are a little just like our heavenly Father, God. The father figure shows that love towards his family. If that is not there, it is catastrophic. To the family unit and we see the problems that we have now in our culture. So I guess my next question is, why is the culture so against the
0: nuclear family? Because we can see it's just completely under attack. Um, They hate when
1: uh, a man gets married and has kids and has a good life and teaches his kids to be good. Well, I think it's just the, I mean, it started a long time ago and feminism kind of took off from that and I think they are seeing the fruits of what they got from that movement they are seeing that yes it's good for women if they decide they want to go into the workplace but I always like to put it like this men are naturally lazy so if They can get away with not doing something. They're just not going to do it. So if a woman comes in and takes the place of a man, whether it be in the workplace or in the home, they're just going to sit idly by and be a lazy bump on a log because that's naturally what men are. We are naturally lazy. So if my wife says, you know what, I will go and get a six-figure job and you can stay home with the kid, you better believe, I would probably say yes. (laughs) But I personally couldn't do that. How should a man treat a woman, not even someone who's
0: his wife, just in general, we can see the kind of lack of courtship between men and women in a very kind manner. and It's kind of turned into, we treat either the opposite sex like
1: there are sex, or we treat them just so poorly. I think a lot of it also has with that. I mean, a man needs to treat a woman with a certain level of respect and dignity. They're not just objects for us to do as we please. But we need to also have women reciprocate how they react to a man's treating them like opening a door for a woman as she walks into the store or something I mean 20 years ago that was just common courtesy and women would say thank you and now I mean I've done it a couple times where you open the door for some 25 year old lady and she yells at you like I could do that myself And I'm like well yes you could but I'd like to do this for you, because, I mean, this is how I was raised, and that while women are naturally the fair sex, we, I mean, as a man, need to treat them as such, where we make sure that we take care of them to the best of our ability, and then in return, they take care of us. I heard a um, and a woman, like I said, complaining about this. And I told. And then she said, of course, you're probably a Christian man, aren't you? And I said, well, yes. And she uh, said, oh, so the Bible says I have to submit to you. And I said, no, the Bible says my wife is supposed to submit to me. And she asked, well, what do you think that means? And I said, I bet you're going to be surprised at what I think it means. I said, from the context that that was written in, a submissive that Paul was talking about in that uh, particular verse actually pertains to uh, Roman war. And she's like, what? And I said, well, you know how, if you've ever seen like the movie 300, how we have people holding the shield wall or, and then having uh, their spears out. The submissive is actually the person behind the person on the shield hoisting them up so they can make sure that they can keep everybody behind the shield wall protected. So that is how I tell my wife, like that's her job is to make sure that I can take all those arrows and she keeps propping me up. I think a lot
0: of people in this culture just don't know Feminist is the wrong word, but Christians were the first culture to kind of consider women equal um, in value, not necessarily the same role. The church was very pro-value. Um, I remember John Calvin would argue with John Knox on the equality of women, but
1: obviously it's just been twisted to a degree now. And it's actually funny you mention that, because during after the Reformation, shortly after, um, the Martin Luther and the "Quote unquote, Lutheran Church actually valued um, a woman's education. So he would educate his daughters, and Philip Melanchthon and him got the normal people started with actually educating them, using the Bible as like a reader and that kind of stuff, because if you couldn't read the Bible, I mean, how do you know what, what the preacher saying was true? And that's one of the things that Luther brought to the forefront, wanting to make sure that his people that he was shepherding could read so that way he could understand, or they could understand what he was trying to tell them, and they could be like the Bereans and know, I mean, what he was saying is true because they searched the scriptures themselves. So I kind of want to move to our next topic, which is kind of how you raise
0: your kid. What are some lessons that you teach your child that, which was his boy, that a lot of young boys out there should know because
1: either they have a father absent or he's there, but he's mentally absent. One thing that I have uh, learned a lot, and it's an old saying that more is caught than taught. So, I mean, I'm not a legalist by any stretch of the imagination, but the way that a father treats the mother of their child goes a long, long way. I mean, in this country, we have broken home after broken home after broken home. I came from one myself. However, I will give credit. My father made sure to treat his ex-wife, my mother, with the utmost respect. He made sure that while we were young that we were able to purchase a gift for Mother's Day or for her birthday so she could still feel valued. And I still remember that to this day, that he respected someone, even though they weren't married anymore, the respect was there and taught his boys how important respect for the mother your child is. And even this day they still are cordial to each other where I see that not happening in a lot of relationships otherwise. But I personally make sure that my son sees me take care of his mother and that he sees me work hard to earn the money that we have he sees me go to church every Sunday, even though just like anybody else, there's some Sundays I don't want to go, but we're still there every Sunday. He sees me sing in church, which anymore, a lot of men don't sing, and it bugs the living daylights out of me, but your son, daughter needs to see you praise the Lord, and I think that that is what is missing because of the broken homes in our society that a lot of sons did not get to see that from their father because there wasn't a father present. Now, that's not to say there is a lot of good uh, programs and men doing good work out there. Think of all of the coaches that coach... Um, big brothers, big sisters. But, I mean, that is a giant hole that they are trying to fill. And it does a job, but it's it's not the same. Yeah, I think a, I think a lot of men out there don't
0: realize the influence they have on some of the boys who don't really have fathers, but they have. J- just because you don't have kids or you're not married, doesn't mean you don't have a paternal duty to some of the other young men out there. I think a lot of people kind of skip over that. But I think obviously, you've kind of made a really good job in this and in my life and some of the other guys that have been around me, you've just made, a good, made sure to kind of give them kind of a paternal, I don't know, like instinct, or you've just been there to mentor them more than some of their fathers have. And I'm not saying that that's true for me, but just some of the other people there that don't have the best relationship with our father or don't have a
1: father you've been a good to do that i think also in our society i mentioned before that um men are i mean lazy by nature fatherhood is such a big deal a lot of times you get off work and you just want to come home and sit on your behind and not do anything but Like I said before, more is caught than taught. If you come home and do your part cleaning the house, cooking dinner, whatever, that kind of thing will pay dividends later on in life. I know uh, for myself when my parents did get divorced, I kind of had to step into a role and I was lucky enough to have learned those things that were in the 1950s nuclear family, you would say it was a lady's job of cooking and cleaning and stuff, but it was necessary to learn those things so when you can be of service to your spouse. So... Like when my wife is sick, she obviously can't do those things and they need to get done. And so I can step in and do them, obviously not as well as she can, because that's what she does every day and I don't have practice at it, but I can be serviceable and be of service to her. Back to men being lazy, they, the, our culture has gotten so we literally sit on our phones or in front of a screen so much that that is what's actually parenting our kids. And I was thinking about that actually just yesterday, how all this talk about Disney and what they're teaching our kids, but what is our children seeing from us when we sit in front and watch Netflix all night They're just seeing that. So they know that's what we do when we're older. So we are being fed by the media instead of being fed by our family and parents and everything else. So we are letting other people do our job for us. And that's the crux of this entire thing is we aren't doing our job. So you kind of touched on how you come from... A broken home.
0: And I understood you said your dad did a really good job at trying to make sure he kept good relationships with your mom. Do you notice any negative side effects now that you're married that could have possibly have come from your parents being divorced?
1: I do. Um, I was older than most, I would say, when my parents got divorced. I was 12 or 13, somewhere around there. But looking back at my younger siblings, how differently it affected them when they were younger because they I mean I look back on it and they don't have the same memories that I do and my younger brother is only two and a half years younger than me but he doesn't remember the things that I do I don't know if he just wasn't as perceptive but people always talk about how in my family there was four of us the two older ones act differently than the two younger ones. And it all comes back to at the formative time when my parents got divorced. It was for a girl around the fourth or fifth grade when she, you know, goes through the first change, as I like to call it. That is a time where a girl needs her mother, I mean, all the time. And she didn't have that because we were splitting time between both of our parents and then with what my family does for a living a single parent household is a absolute disaster because I mean there's days where we work 14 to 16 hours 18 hours a day so a child's home alone quite a bit so who's parenting that child a surrogate parent brother sister type person or a coach or just what we talked about the media in some kind shape or form and not to date myself but this is when the internet started becoming a big thing I mean searching on the internet for things to do and then having satellite dish and not having any parental control so you can just do whatever as for myself what I take as a negative now is I look at everything well this could happen to me this could happen to me I need to make sure it doesn't so it's always in the back of my mind that could happen to my family I sure as hell don't want it to but it's always in the back of my mind because it did. So, I want to switch gears a little bit to talk about kind of more
0: biblical stuff. Um, I hear a lot of Baptists describe God the Father as their daddy. They they make it very, very personal. Um, I, I'm just kind of wondering what do you what do you kind of take on calling God the Father our daddy?
1: That uh, to me sounds a little disrespectful, calling. God the father daddy and it <laughs> i almost kind of want to laugh at it a little bit and it kind of speaks to the feminization of well that side of christianity
0: i always kind of felt a little off when i would hear it obviously i was i grew up baptist so i kind of heard a lot but something always kind of like the alarm bells went off in my head i don't think it's the biggest issue but just a little strange besides just being obviously jesus father Do you think we can kind of learn anything from God being called the Father at all?
1: Hmm, that's a good question. We have, I would, you and I, hold to a Trinitarian view. There being God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Okay? Three persons, one essence. We always talk about when it comes to marriage, about Jesus the church being his bride we talk about that in relationship to just marriage in general which is excellent and i like the way paul lays all that out there but when it comes to god the father i see through the entire uh work of scripture you look at how he does not spare the rod on his people and that's something again today that doesn't get done enough we we spare the rod too much and now we have so many disobedient children who are still children at 26 years old whereas god knew when it was time and in his infinite wisdom like this is the time these people need to be shown the way and i mean it was done through various methods but he was always there and he always had what always brought them back he always left a remnant and i think that is huge the fact that he never leaves his people and it's funny because throughout scripture they always talk about where is god and i like reading some of the psalms about how the psalmist will write where where are you where are you and part of me when i read it sometimes I mean, thinking back on it, it's like, well, he's been right there the entire time. But that's one thing that we can take from God the Father is he never leaves us nor forsakes us.
0: That really juxtaposes with, obviously, the modern day father where leave before they're even born, if they are born. Quick side note, kind of something I thought about with the um, sparing the rod. So a lot of times I see when kids are younger, instead of punishing them, The parents slash the doctor will tell them there's something wrong with you. The reason you're misbehaving is not because of you, it's because you have some sort of mental condition. And I'm really skeptical of a lot of these conditions that they assign to children. I really, I really have a huge problem because I see a lot of people around me today that are my age. Is half of them are on some sort of pill, and a lot of the times it's like they'll be fine most of the day, and then you'll get halfway through the day and be like oh, I just forgot, I didn't take my pill this morning. And then they'll start misbehaving themselves. So what do you think we're doing to our kids when instead of telling them to take responsibility for their actions, we're telling them there's something wrong with you, you need to take this pill?
1: I just had this conversation the other day with a friend of mine, and he was um, just watching Fox News or CNN and this kind of stuff during all of these so-called riots that we've been having and this kind of stuff. And there was 26 and 28-year-old, who I would still call children, out protesting for, I mean, stuff that they have no business being even a part of. But they're still children. And we are babying them. We are kowtowing to just 20-somethings who don't have any life experience. I mean, if this was 70 years ago, I mean, they would have been off fighting a war in Japan or Germany or somewhere in Europe. And these people are, I mean, wearing tails and calling themselves a furry and don't even know what gender they are. All they've got to do is look down. But, like, we treat everybody with kid gloves and there's no responsibility and that all starts when they're young and i mean i'm talking like two years old when you have to tell your child no and slap their hand or and then as they progress have that strong consistent discipline where they know no means no, and yes means yes. The Bible talks about that all the time. Let your no be no, and your yes be yes. And a lot of parents start out well with good intentions, but then again, we just get lazy. And i be the first to admit, I get lazy sometimes too. But without the consistency in your discipline, like that's what we're going to end up getting. We have... Turned into a country where we give a two-year-old an iPad to shut them up. Instead of teaching them, no, in this situation, you need to be quiet. We, even in the church, have gotten to the point, and I'm speaking as a church as a whole, not one in particular, where 90% of them don't even have children in the service with their parents. They go to a quote-unquote children's church to be taught by puppets instead of being taught by their father, which is what's taught in the Bible, that father's the head of the household, and they need to make sure that their children know the Bible. And that's what one thing that's always caught my eye, going back to Martin Luther, is he literally wrote a book called Luther's Small Catechism where it says in the preface to it uh, that he wrote it for fathers to teach their family the basics of the faith. I'm not saying that, I mean, he's the end-all, be-all, the best theologian there ever was, because I don't think he was, but he has something there. That's a father's job. And they, the church wasn't before then preparing fathers to do their job. And so he wrote a book where, I mean, you could follow that through and it would preach the gospel and show you how to live a Christian life and understand the difference between what is law and what is gospel. But that shows you the gospel right there, going back to fathers, There needs to be that where we show our children the law. My son does something dumb. I have to make sure that he knows that is completely incorrect and not okay. That's the law. But after his discipline is over, he needs to know that I still love him unconditionally. That's the gospel. I mean, I'm whittling it down to make it like make a picture but that's where it's at right there and how many kids are seeing that nowadays because every time you go to a supermarket or anything else kid acts up here's my phone shut up you're embarrassing me yeah it's it's a big problem and in some ways
0: i i kind of blame the church because the church is kind of you know, run away from really teaching their flock what's, what's good and right. We, send, we spend so much time fighting other people outside the church that we forget that there's people inside the church that also need teaching.
1: You're 100% correct that it kind of started with the church. Um, the church nowadays has become entertainment, where you're going to church and you expect... To be entertained. And it just boggles my mind. That people go church shopping. Not based on doctrine. Or the things that they believe. They go to make sure that. This church actually has drums and a guitar. And a smoke machine. So the worship is awesome. This person had a lead a worship leader who went to juilliard so i mean they have a beautiful voice so this has got to be the church for me even though the pastor might be out there preaching pretty much out of a how-to book for how to live a christian life and there's not a semblance of a gospel there he's not doing his job the church isn't doing their job all we're doing is, I mean, putting forth Christian ideals. And this what, I mean, not to turn this political, but that's where, I mean, you get people like Trump who are a salesman, and they come through and they pr- pr- placate to that ideal. I mean... When he comes in and he can say all the right things and pretend to be a Christian, I'm not saying he's not. It just doesn't. It's just the way he is. It doesn't sound right to me. But he says all the things evangelicals want to hear. As a whole, he says them, so they're fired up about it. He plays off them with our sentiments towards Israel. He's playing off of that. Everything he does. But people are treating him like a religion because they see if you slight him, it's a slight to the evangelical church as a whole. And it's frustrating to watch. And it all starts, just like you said, brought it up, with the church fading away and the church becoming going more told, toward the culture rather than being what it is and what it's for we are just allowing the culture to point us in the direction and we are just teaching basic instructions before leaving earth
0: and I think largely that has to do with kind of the whole evangelical movement where it's like, we don't really care what's going to happen on this earth anyway because it's going to be destroyed. But I think the goal of the church is kind of to bring, it's supposed to be heaven on earth in a way. So when we make it so conform to the culture down to the lights and the music, you, you kind of ruin the whole christian ideal we're we're separate from the culture we're not we're not supposed to be a part of the culture and um a quick side note on just kind of the whole zionist zionist movement is i saw recently a story on newsmax where i think christians need to be a little bit more weary in their support for israel and i'm not i'm not i'm not talking about politics i don't really i don't really care about the politics of whether or not they're our ally or whatever but when it comes to just overall evangelical support of israel i saw a a legislation by a few members of the Israeli um, Congress or whatever, Parliament, that they wanted to put you in jail if you talked about Jesus, no matter what. And I was like, why Why did we as evangelicals put up with so much crap, you know? it's It's kind of strange that we just support them no matter what, but we really don't even know what's going on over there. We just think, well, the Jews are in the Old Testament, so they must be our allies. But you forget that Right after in the New Testament, there were Christians being persecuted by Jews. I mean, Saul, Paul. Whatever the politics are, it's just, we just need to be a little bit weary about how dutiful we are in supporting them.
1: I think as Americans, we've always had a soft spot, I guess I will say, towards Israel. But what really kind of grinds my gears on the whole Zionist movement is what we talked about earlier, where God almost disciplines his people by almost wiping them out and then bringing them back type thing. So the Zionist movement, we are trying to play God. So we are trying to save all these people. Did God come to whoever's leading the Zionist movement and tell them you've got to do this? No, he did not. We are trying to do God's job, and that is, I mean, one of the first commandments, it's not our job. We, I mean, we got to trust that God will do what he says, and we aren't doing that with this quote-unquote Zionist movement. Yeah, I just looked it up, and this is a few websites,
0: uh, Christ, Premier Christian News, um, all Israel news is that there were two members who who introduced that uh, legislation. And I'm, I'm not saying the whole parliament, I don't know if it was passed or not, but we just got to be a little bit careful who we throw our support out for as Christians because we should be a little bit more responsible in doing our research before we just decide that this is a good nation because we should, we just need to be a little bit
1: more careful. I think you're 100% correct with that. We just need to be more careful. But what we've kind of discussed here all goes back to just kind of to encapsulate everything. goes back to what the church is teaching nowadays and the culture of the church. It is what's popular today and... I mean, Israel's popular at some point, so let's get this going. That's what that is. But where real healing is going to happen starts with getting our churches right. Whether it's Israel, whether it's nuclear families, whether it's abortion, it all starts for us as Christians in the church, making sure that we are putting the gospel first, not what youth program we have, not what uh, songs that we are singing and with what instruments and how loud they are, whether we use hymnals or do we have a monitor placing all the music up there We need to get back to what is central, and that's preaching the Word, preaching it faithfully, and, I mean, preaching Christ and Him crucified for the forgiveness of our sins. I mean, we can argue in amongst our Christian group about communion and baptism and all that. That will come, but... What's central is getting the gospel out there faithfully. Every single time you get the chance on a Sunday. Not, this is what you need to do to live a Christian life. You need to vote for Trump. You need to do this. No, preach the gospel. Let the Holy Spirit do its job. That's not your job. Your job is to preach the gospel and shepherd your people. Okay? Yes, shepherding, you can help them become good fathers, but our pastors need to be good fathers for that to happen. They need to be a father and a good husband before they can come and tell you or I how to be a good father and husband. You can't shepherd your flock without having your little flock, your family in order.
0: Or maybe we should just have all the pastors be celibate like the catholics do and then we don't have to worry about that (laughs) um so i want to kind of change gears a little bit to talking about some of the virtues that men kind of lack nowadays um as you remember we talked about kind of meekness during um basketball season so kind of go
1: over that define meekness why is it important so how I like to define meekness is a little different, I think, than most. And that's why I think Brock asked me this question. Meekness to me goes back to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And when Peter cut off, I believe his name was Malchus's ear, and Jesus obviously healed him, put his ear back on, and told peter to put his sword away now i don't see meekness as weakness when people see or hear the word meek they just think of this meek weak mild mannered person no to me when i read it i see a warrior but a wise and a smart one one who knows when it's time to pull out his sword and when to leave it sheathed men today don't know that um we just had a ugly school shooting here this week in nashville as we're recording this and everybody's talking about gun control and this that and the other thing we gotta no that's not our problem it's not our problem. We have a, we have a lack of Jesus problem as our problem. But 40 years ago, or even 20 years ago when I was in high school, people brought guns to school and kept them in their trucks because they knew that wasn't the time to pull them out, obviously. They had some wisdom when it came to that. But we also had... Do we not have fights back then? Of course we had fights. Fist fights. Because, I mean, yes, boys are going to fight and be dumb. That's how boys are. That's a lot of what makes us different than girls. But this just is, again, a cause of not having fathers who are teaching their boys specifically how to be men. And knowing as... My older brother, who's quite a bit older than me, says, when it's time to go, and I'll kind of explain that. When it's time to stand up and fight, when it's time to make a stand, like, no, that's a reason to go, as he would always put it. When, like I always told you guys, if somebody pushes somebody that is twice as small as they are that's a reason to stand up and be okay with it's time to go or as a coach I am in control or in charge of my teammate or my team if some older gentleman came and Like, pushed you guys around. That's my job to step in and be like, no, this isn't okay. However, that doesn't happen anymore. The littlest thing sets off people, or grown men cower. They don't know when it's time to go, because they haven't had a father show them that when it's time. Um, I mean, my own father, we talked about it quite often just because he was a teenage boy too, at some point, like, when is it okay to fight? And when do you just walk away? And I know my father told me, he said, you never, ever start a fight, but you damn well finish it. If somebody comes at you. But he also told me you have to be ready for those consequences also. I mean, there can be major consequences. And one of the, the thing that pops up into my mind right now is the number one country song in America right now is Wait in the Truck. And why does that resonate with people? Because a man saw a woman beat to hell. And he said, no, it's time to go and went and took that lady's husband and had him meet his maker. And that resonates with people because they want it. They want men like that. That's why that's popular, because they want that. They don't know they want it, but that's what they want. They want men to be men and women to be women. And we don't have that anymore.
0: I think the, the other interesting half of that song was that he was put in jail and it was kind of like almost poetic where he switched places w- with the woman. And that's just a good life lesson that sometimes we should take other people's burdens on. And, yeah, that was just a really, really good lesson in song. So kind of t- kind of talk about the other half. When I, – I, you kind of touched on it. When do we kind of just kind of let things go? Because I remember thinking about it a lot after the season ended with – was a lot of times it's like, I want to stand up and I want to yell at someone after the, you know, they say no to me, but I'm just like, it's, it's not really worth it because nothing's going to change. But it's like, at the same time, I don't want to, I don't want to be quick to anger, but I also don't want to get walked all over.
1: It's a super fine line, to be quite honest. You have to be super careful. Cause like when I talked about there are consequences for what you do. Even to this day I still play uh, basketball. And our last basketball game. Ended in a fist fight. And we didn't get to finish the game. One of my teammates. Uh, actually tackled somebody during a basketball game. Which if you don't know basketball isn't allowed. Um, did I go and join that fight? No. No. But what I did do is after we got everybody separated and got the fight over, we were playing against a bunch of 25-year-olds, and I'm dang near 40. I made sure that my teammate got to his car safely. Now, if they, like I just said, that situation, I didn't jump in that fight. I broke it up. But if they would have came at my teammate and friend um at that time in the parking lot that was a reason to go so it's just a little different in that respect i mean there you have to weigh the consequences of what you're doing in real time because you have to think about is this going to ruin my life because one punch could kill somebody if you hit them correctly.
0: Uh, the next virtue I kind of want to talk about was wisdom. What does that look like?
1: Depends on who's defining it, to be honest with you. Um, I always remember people talking about the wisdom of Solomon. But Solomon had a bunch of different wives and concubines. So was he really that wise? Yeah, there's a lot of good proverbs And that kind of stuff. But I think that they say wisdom comes with age, but I don't think that's completely it. Um, I know a lot of older men who are in their 50s and 60s who are far from wise. But I also know some 25-year-old guys and even 18-year-old guys who I see lots of wisdom in. And I think that's something given to you by the Holy Spirit. Some people might call it conscience, but I think that staying reading of the scriptures and having that in your back of your head all the time when stuff pops up is where wisdom comes from, is knowing your scriptures and having some experience with how to relate to those.
0: I hear a lot of people define wisdom as knowledge, but practice knowledge. Um, What do you think about that definition?
1: I mean, it's an okay definition, but then again, by whose standards are you judging that off of? Um, Because, I mean, I know a lot of unwise, smart people um, who have a lot of knowledge, but i think to be wise you have to have knowledge with understanding so understand what your i mean knowledge is all about and how to apply it so wisdom is knowledge with understanding all right uh, i'll wrap it up with this final question and this was kind of the
0: most important for me when i was kind of going into this which is what do you say to the boy at home who is lost has no father no purpose, and seemingly no reason to live,
1: as many boys in our culture do. I'd tell that young man to search out a mentor, whether that's finding a pastor, shepherd at church, a basketball coach like we've been talking about, or a big brother, big sister. But he needs to have a man in his life that he can be shown because we ta- talked about before about how much is caught and not taught. And I think that is what I would tell him that that's not the only thing. Like there are ways out of this. And pray, obviously. All right, Brent. Well,
0: thanks for coming on the podcast. You're welcome. If you have any questions about the show, you can email me at ostrabrock@gmail.com at com. O-O-S-T-R-A-B-R-O-C-K at gmail.com until next month my name is brock ostra and that was ostra hour